Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading researchers, authors, and clinicians discussing issues in attachment theory. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. Today, Karen concludes her discussion with Dr. Jeannie Howard, Professor Emeritus at Illinois State University on meeting the needs of adoptive families. Hello out there and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, bringing you another episode today. We are going to be exploring some of the services that are most helpful to adoptive families in this episode. I have the honor of being able to interview Jeannie Howard about this topic, and I'd like to share some information about her background with you. Dr. Howard has conducted research and training on adoption and foster care issues for over 30 years with a special emphasis on children adopted from foster care. She's Professor Emeritus at Illinois State University, where she headed the Center for Adoption Studies for 15 years. She also served for almost a decade on the research as the research and policy director for the Donaldson Adoption Institute, researching and authoring numerous reports that have had a positive impact on adoption-related law, policy, and practice. Dr. Howard has published several books, The Needs of Adopted Youth and Preserving Troubled Adoptions, as well as many articles and monographs on adoption-related issues, including finding adoptive homes for older adopted youth, the need for a range of post-adoption services, policies, and practices. She has done articles related to serving gay and lesbian-headed adoptive families, articles about the overrepresentation of African-American youth in foster care, and restoring access to birth certificates to adult adoptees, racial and adoption identity, and the impact of the internet on adoption. I'm sure you can tell by all of that, she has studied many different facets of adoption. I'm looking forward to talking with her today about some of the things that she learned from those many years of research that adoptive families need. So stay tuned and she will be coming right up. Thank you to everyone who signed up for the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute for July 2022. While registration for this round of classes is closed, we will be opening up registration again soon for January 2023 classes. Head to tkcchaddock.org to sign up for the waiting list and get notified when registration goes live. So Dr. Howard, thank you so much for continuing this conversation. I'm really enjoying it, Karen. This was, I loved my work and it's nice to revisit it. Well, it also feels like a trip down memory lane for me because being a provider in Illinois during this era, you know, we're hearing about this research, we're hearing, you know, how you are wanting to transform services, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, you know, what what was put together. But before we get to that, uh, I think I want to take hats off to Illinois too for even doing the research before coming up with the services. That sounds like a basic thing, but that doesn't always happen. We also um, studied the services and their impact as well, which doesn't always happen. People often say, okay, here's a good idea. Let's do it. 
and don't determine the extent to which the good idea really was a good idea. And so Illinois not only passed a law that required us to provide services to families after adoption and to try and prevent adoption dissolution, but also uh, invited us to study the impact of these services so we could fine tune them or know if they were really working or whatever. So it really was a wonderful time in child welfare in our state. Um, we did a, we were tasked with doing a variety of things, not only studying families and, and studying workers' uh, techniques and learning more about what families needed, but we also were uh, charged with doing training for workers and bringing workers together. One of my favorite parts of this was the fact that we had regular uh, conferences where adoption preservation workers from across the state would come together and interact with each other and connect, but also hear from the top experts in the field, experts on attachment, experts on trauma, experts on you know, fetal alcohol issues, on a whole host of things. So we would bring in people that were really renowned and cutting edge leaders in the field. And then all of our workers and supervisors um, and sometimes parents would have access to the wisdom of these experts. So um, it was a really rich experience. Beyond that, we got wonderful, deep data from our workers about the families they worked with and about their interventions. And so we were able to examine this over time with you know, many, many, many hundreds of families. I think our last study had maybe 1,600 families that we had, or actually it was closer to 2,000 families that we had data on. And what we discovered, I think, was, you know, predictable. And then we discovered some things that weren't so predictable. Um, So we did uh, depression inventory of parents. We did the behavior problem index of children. We looked at their their internal locus or external locus of control. We had a number of built-in tools that we used. And then we got regular feedback from the workers about how families were doing. And then we would repeat these measures at the end of services. Um, so it was um, it was it was very rich understanding of these families' lives in terms of what the services were. Um, for the most part, the there was a sort of a standard service package, and then agencies were allowed to to try and make it meet the needs of their families to some extent. So it wasn't completely standard, but the most important aspect was that there was an in-home therapist. So every family was assigned an in-home therapist to work with the family as a whole, to work with the child individually sometimes, to work with the parents individually oftentimes. So that that was the meat of it, was meeting with families and helping them articulate their desires and their needs. And actually, a lot of those early interviews were just about pain, about worker, about parents' pain that they were failing, that they couldn't meet the child's needs. And sometimes there was a lot of anger at the child, but a lot of times there was a lot of sorrow and anger inside of the parents. And there was a lot of strains when there were two parents. There were often a lot of strains in the marriage as well. So there was just a lot of listening and a lot of affirming and a lot of recognizing with these families that given their child's history, 
Lots of people, as one of my workers said, Mother Teresa wouldn't have been successful raising this child. Um, So helping families realize that they got dealt a complicated hand. And another piece of the intervention was going back to the records to the extent that they could be um, retrieved and gathering as much information as could be gathered about the child's history. And then saying to a parent, you know, when a child is sexually abused at age two, here are some of the manifestations of that. And it's no wonder that your child does X. Or when your child is, is not fed and is, is profoundly neglected, it's no wonder that your child hoards food and steals food and, and. So a lot of it was normalizing. The things that drove our parents the craziest, I think, were lying, And these kids were often really good liars, you know, because lying may have saved their life. Their ability to manipulate other people may have saved their life as young children. Stealing, um, setting one parent against another parent, and again, the issue of not being able to give or receive affection. Those were all powerful. And the workers would often be able to say, you know what, this child's behavior makes sense because this happened to them. And so being a, a, a tour guide, sort of, I don't know how else to put it, but helping the parents understand, yes, this happened to your child, which the parent may have known or may not have known. And when this happens to a child, then this can be the result. And regular parenting with a child who's been through this is not going to work. You need to adjust your parenting skills to meet the needs of your particular child. And that was such a relief to parents to know that, in effect, it wasn't their quote-unquote fault, that their child came to them with things that most parents would not be able to manage. One of the interesting things to me, Karen, was that our parents were low on depression and high on internal locus of control. So they, these were fixers, and these were doers, and these were people who were used to asserting their will and having something change, which is just what you want, right? That's just, the, you know, that's a good list of characteristics for uh, adoptive parents. However, when their child, when all their techniques didn't work, and they felt like they were giving and doing and forcing and pushing and things were just getting worse, those parents felt horrible. They just felt horrible. And so it was interesting to us to see that we had these these high charging parents and that they were often the most frustrated and the most depleted because they were used to success. And when they weren't succeeding, it was very painful for them. Yes. So in addition to individual therapy, which our family therapy being in the home of the family. Um, there also were a, a, a series of other things that were very helpful. Groups for children. A lot of times children came to groups with other adopted children, and that's the only adopted children they knew. And groups for parents were very powerful as well. Um, also, uh, agencies were allowed some, they had some funds so that they could do some creative things like send children to a particular kind of treatment or um, engage. I remember one family, this child would not go to school, just would not get up, would not go to school. The families had jobs, the parents had jobs. They were frantic because it was just, and so the agency was able to use some of its funds to hire like a college age kid to go over and be with this 13 year old every morning and say, come on, let's go. Come on. I'll take you out to McDonald's for breakfast. And then we're going to school. And that worked. 
So mm-hmm. the opportunity to be creative was certainly a piece of this as well. Mm-hmm. So the groups, the individual therapy, some um, some respite was built into many of the programs. Uh, one of the agencies developed a camp. So once a month, parents knew that they could have a weekend where their child would be with other adopted children in the care of you know, experts, and they could have a break and maybe attend to some of their personal needs, maybe attend to each other in their relationship, maybe attend to some of their other children in the household who kind of got less attention because the child you know, that was being the focus of services was so needy. Um, So there were a lot of really wonderful things. There were family gatherings. Some agencies would organize picnics or family days or time so uh, adoptive families could be with other adoptive families. There were just a lot of really interesting, creative things that people did. Our, our workers also got trained in a number of, of areas, including TheraPlay, which helped them teach parents how to interact with their, parent, their children in a playful and happier way. So many of our families were just joyless when they started services. The, there was anger, there was frustration, there was fear, there was hopelessness. And so all of these techniques together enabled families to get connected again and to use their, you know, to go back to their hopefulness, understanding that this child was maybe never going to be okay in the way that was initially hoped for, but that this child, they could still be a good parent to this child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a therapist in the state, um, although Chaddock didn't have the adoption preservation contract at the time. So I guess we should also say that the Institute then developed the Illinois Adoption Preservation Program based on this information, or did that? um, We were, we were, uh, we assisted in that. I think the state um, already had a, a notion that this was important and, and that they would provide services, but some of the how of it, we were, we were able to influence some of the how of it. Okay. Okay. Cause you know, what I remember was somehow I was still able to go, go to the, the conference, even though we weren't official providers, because I just think there, it was such a feeling of, we want to train people. We want people to understand adoption exactly. and the unique features of it. And, you know, we, we want to learn new models. I remember Dan Hughes coming. I remember Holly Van Goulden coming. I remember I was a TheraPlay trainer at the time. And I remember being brought in to train people in TheraPlay and listeners should know this was all free. Like, you're not right. free. I mean, we had to, somebody paid for it, but we were just getting this wealth of information and training and expertise to be able to better support those families. I think for for myself, you know, starting out earlier in my career, getting this opportunity to learn all of these models that you know many people now they're trying to scrape funds together to go get all of these trainings. It was such an exciting time watching all of that unfold and having this excitement around 
we're we're creating something really special that that doesn't exist anywhere out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I just wanted to point out that these families, many of them had sought help long before this. Yes. And they, I mean, I, I can't remember the specific statistic, but it, it was not uncommon for them to have seen two or three or four providers. But what they found was these providers were woefully unprepared about adoption uh, and about trauma and, and what bringing a traumatized child into an otherwise you know, functional family can do. So they reported feeling blamed and, and, and the sort of old family systems model of is the child is acting out, there must be something wrong with the parent, there must be something wrong with the parental relationship. And so parents would go in saying, help, help, help. And they would say, well, you know, you really need to work on your anger issues. You really need to work on your marriage. And they would say, you know, okay, but what about my child stealing or knifing my clothes or, you know, burning down the garage? I mean, it's not, it's, we, we had some very troubled children. And so parents often felt blamed and kind of scalded by their attempts to get help. So when they finally found somebody who said, ah, that must be hard. That's not what you signed up for, is it? That's when you dreamed about adopting this child, this was not the dream you had, right? Parents were just so um, relieved to have uh, expertise. And so part of the goal was to uh, build capacity beyond just the adoption preservation program. So that's why wonderful therapists and people like you were able, were included in these conferences so that we could build capacity across the state. And it wouldn't just be a few people who knew how to help adoptive families. Yes. And build capacity, you did, you know, every year there would be some, you know, big name person, as you said, coming to Illinois, I believe that you all researched what's out there, what do our families need based on what we're hearing from them. And um, all of these services that you were mentioning earlier, the family therapy, the groups, um, all of this the respite, the can't, though I remember even a caseworker assigned to, to help, you know, garner whatever services were needed or whatever. And there was not any charge to the adoptive parents for this. So it was all just available to them. And I remember that early on too, what you were saying about the creativity, it was like a block grant. It was like this amount of money, and what you use it in a way that's going to best help these families rather than, okay, we'll pay this hourly therapy rate for this. And if you do something else, we won't pay you. <laughs> right. It yeah. was, it, it was really uh, one of the many things I loved about it was it, uh, it honored the expertise of the service providers. So that the, the state said, we've got these trouble kids. We do not want them coming back into foster care. We do not want that for them. And we don't want that for us because of the, the cost and the difficulty. So, you know, let's all figure it out. Let's all figure it out. And so there was, um, you know, there were certainly re- restraints and accounting issues and all that. But, but the, the, the idea was, this is new territory. Let's figure it out together. And it was really glorious that we could. And we made really important strides. And I I, want to make clear that this program still exists in our state today. There have been a number of attempts to try and improve post-adoption services um, nationally. 
Um, and and there's there are wonderful curricula out there, and there are other kinds of, of oh, I should add that too that we developed a very comprehensive curricula for or curriculum for adoption therapists coming into this program. So every um, hiree into the adoption preservation, and I should say guardianship services. This was not just for kids who were adopted, but it was for kids who had permanent guardianship, which is another permanency outcome in Illinois. Um, there were videos and books and exercises and you know case studies. And we were able to bring together workers from across the state to develop these case studies and develop this preparation. So everybody got a big silver box full of books and um, videos or DVDs and uh, a lot of the sort of information from previous training that we'd done. So um, from start to finish, there really was an emphasis on knowledge specific to troubled adoptive families. And I don't know the exact years you probably do, but this was before like the case program or any of these other programs that are trying to teach, I believe, uh, adoption specific information. I think this was one of I the think first if, in the country. I think it was one. Of, it was certainly the first statewide uh, program of, of its type. And, you know, we went all over the country preaching about it because everybody was desperate for this kind of information. Um, but not every state, I mean, our ace in the hole was it was in state law and the state had to fund services to families after adoption. I don't know that any other state has it as a legal requirement. And that was that was golden for us. That enabled us. It made it a right, basically. It made it statutory. And so, um, you know, for all these years, I mean, we began the Institute, the Center for Adoption Studies in 1998. So for all these years, there has been an emphasis on this issue in, in Illinois. It's interesting to me that our foster care numbers are beginning to creep back up in Illinois. And I'm hoping that we'll see a sort of renewed attention to um, strengthening adoption. I think the program is still in place. And, and that's wonderful, and it's available statewide. Every adoptive parent in Illinois has access to a provider. I mean, they may not be, they may not get in right away. I don't mean that, but I mean, the whole state has a network of providers for adoptive families. Um, that's, I think, pretty unique. And I, I just, I wish, and one of the sadness, saddest things for me when I retired was that we didn't have a nationwide program of this sort. Because if families are struggling in Illinois, families are struggling everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the push for, for children to be adopted from foster care remains, but the enthusiasm or the dedication to support those families for the long haul does not. I would like to say, I think it is an ethical obligation of a state child welfare system to support families after adoption, partly because they were the parents of this child before the child came into adoption. And sometimes bad things happened while the state was the parent of this child. So it wasn't only um, abuse within or neglect within the original home that made this life difficult for these children, but there was moving around in foster care. There was abuse or neglect in foster care. There were residential placements that were not healthy for the child. I mean, the state was part of the problem. 
and therefore needs to be part of the solution. And that's the case nationwide. Yes. And so, you know, as we wind down here, I'd like to see if we could share some important nuggets for anyone who's listening to this that is thinking about whether it's a parent, whether it's a therapist, someone who works in the child welfare system or outside the child welfare system, you know, some of the lessons that you learned um, first about developing services, but what what was most effective? Like, what did the in the end? What did the families really need? The families and children, in order to avoid um, an adoption dissolving. What what were some of the biggest findings? So that this can be forefront in anybody's mind who's working with this group. The you got to hit these issues. Like the, these are the key things that these families need. What did you learn? There are many, but I'll, I'll try and stick with the, the top few. One of them is that preparation for adoptive families needs to be much more intensive, supportive, thorough. Many of our families got a lot of the nuts and bolts about this is how you'll get your subsidy, and this is you know these are your rights for your child in school, and and you know sort of the mechanical aspects. But I think. N- Often parents felt they weren't prepared for what the long-term impact of their child's early life histories would be on the family. So that was one of the most important. And as I mentioned, our workers did go back into the files. They did collect all the information they could, and then they would interpret that. When this happens to your child at age X, they often do this at age Y. And here's why traditional parenting, like I remember lying was such a thing. Parents felt so hurt by that when their children lied to them over and over or lied to them about crazy things that on what seemed like to the parent unimportant things and the workers would say you know what lying did for your child once upon a time and what lying might do for your child now it serves them in some way we can't just make them quit lying we have to deal with why they lie and help them creatively come up with other ways to get their needs met. That was so helpful to parents. So another one would be being in the company of other adoptive parents and knowing that you are not the only family that's struggling. You are not. And it would also be sometimes they'd say, well, my God, thank my God, my kid doesn't do that. At least my kid doesn't do that. So there was a lot of comparison, but there was a lot of mutual support Um and help. I think, again, to me, the perhaps the primary thing in addition, in addition to knowing that parents need better, thorough, supportive preparation is interpretation of their child's behavior in light of their child's past and helping parents to see that what works with your birth children or, or what works with, you know, other children is not going to be effective with this child. These childs have cores of steel or they wouldn't be alive, some of them. And so their need to lie or steal or manipulate parental relationships goes real deep. And you're not going to make it go away by writing, I will not lie a hundred times. Right. So, so you, new help, you help them understand the context of these behaviors from the child's history. You help them understand these behaviors were adaptive for survival. And then also, because sometimes parents get all that, but then they don't get the tools. So now what do I do that would be more effective? And I think that was a big piece of all of this training that you brought in because 
okay, I, I get that they're traumatized. I get this was adaptive, but what does that mean at night when they've been screaming for four hours and I still can't get them to go to bed? Like, tell me what that, tell me what that means then. And needing these practical strategies from people who are well-trained and had good solid ideas for how to handle that. And did not blame them. Over and over in parent reports, they would say, I felt understood for the first time. I felt not judged. I felt I could say whatever I was feeling and this person would still support me. That was very powerful, Mm -hmm. Um, probably equally powerful to the other things I've mentioned. And that started right at the beginning. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Howard, thank you so much for being here today to talk about this. And I think it gives ideas for those listening across the nation that support after adoption needs to be multi-layered and multifaceted. And if possible, it would be good if it could be legislated. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely true. And I, I, you know, now that I'm, I'm not directly involved in research, but I'm still an advocate and I, I'm hoping for federal legislation at some point and federal funding for some point to support adoptions at a much higher level. Um, we're all the parents of these kids. As a society, we have an obligation to these families and these children. And I'm hoping that we can move in that direction so there are funds available, not just in states like Illinois, but across the country to strengthen these families. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. 